Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. When people say, well, that's over the top. And I say, well, you tell me what up is and I'll let you know whether or not I'm over it. I'm working on something and I'm trying to find something which I think is exciting. Welcome listeners to another episode of In the Envelope. I could not be more pleased to tell you today that today's guest of the podcast is the one and only, the the iconic, the no one quite like him, Nicholas Cage. Nick Cage. It's such a treat to have him on the podcast. There's so much to get into. Nick was just nominated for a Critics' Choice Award for his work in Michael Sarnowski's film Pig which I'm just going to go out on a limb and say is my favorite movie of the year and that Nick gives possibly one of the best performances on film this year, which I know is really saying something because if you are paying attention to the film industry at all, there are a lot of movies out right now. Critics' Choice just announced their nominations. The Film Independent just announced their Spirit Award nominations. Here we are in December. I guess award season is underway. But the thing about Nicolas Cage... Actors, I hope you're ready. I hope you're taking notes because he is somebody who is uh, not shy in terms of sharing about his many different acting techniques. And many people in breaking down, you know, somebody who's so prolific will break down somebody's career by the genres they kind of participate in. Nick Cage has done Oscar-winning dramas. He's done crazy, weird, mind-bending horror films. He's done tons of um, action-y, shoot-em-up thriller types. I find it really interesting to ask him about acting styles, naturalism, kabuki, uh, German expressionism. These are the styles that Nick enjoys bringing to each of his performances and that he encourages his fellow actors to to try things, to take risks. This is a very craft-focused interview. Uh, Actors, you are in for a treat. That's about all I have to say. Uh, go see Pig. Um, and let's take a quick break and get to this interview with Nick Cage. For your awards consideration, Hacks, the Emmy award-winning Max original series starring Gene Smart, explores a dark mentorship that forms between a legendary Las Vegas comedian and an entitled outcast 25-year-old writer played by Hannah Einbinder. Praised by Decider as a masterful, genius, and spectacular approach to comedy, the series dazzles as a display of beguiling chemistry between Smart and Einbinder, who the Chicago Sun-Times louds as stunningly good together. Hacks is now streaming on HBO Max.
Nicolas Cage is one of the most prolific and acclaimed film performers of his generation. You may know him from early work in Moonstruck, Raising Arizona, Vampire's Kiss, The Rock, and Face Off, all the way to National Treasure, Mandy, the Oscar-nominated Adaptation, and his Oscar-winning Leaving Las Vegas. The actor-director-producer has just earned a Critics' Choice nomination for Michael Sarnowski's film Pig and will next play himself in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Here is the singular Nicolas Cage. Nicholas, can I call you Nick? Absolutely. Everybody oh. else does. <laughs> it's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. How are you today? I'm well. I'm I'm uh, I'm excited. You know, there's been a nice energy around this movie and people talking about it. It's, it's only good. I'm obsessed with it. I, it was a, it's completely my favorite movie of the year. Pig. That's great news. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm very excited to talk to you. But um, we are backstage. I don't know how familiar you are with backstage. You ever used backstage for casting notices back in the day? No, I can't say that I have. What is backstage? Great question. We are all about the craft and career advice, especially catered towards early career artists, not just actors, but creators as well. And so I know based on your interviews that you are really forthcoming about your your process and the the kind of craft and techniques that go into it. And so I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of that. And I do think Pig is our way in. I mean, I'd love to ask about Pig. I mean, first, well, we always start with why acting? Why, why did you set off on this path in the first place? Very simple. I, uh, I went to uh, the New Beverly Cinema. I was about 14, 15, and I saw a double feature of, well, actually a triple feature, On the Waterfront, Rebel Without a Cause, and East mm-hmm. of Eden. And when I, at that very kind of tender adolescent age, saw James Dean break down, have a nervous breakdown on camera when he was trying to give his father, played by Raymond Massey, the money that he made putting his heart and soul into selling beans in a bean field and having it be rejected. When he was breaking down, I was breaking down and I, in the theater. And I knew then that the power of film performance was more compelling, more profound than any other art form that I had experienced to that point. I had Beautiful. in books i had been interested in paintings i had been interested in music but that did it that i said that that's what i want to do because that communicated to me i want to communicate that wonderful and i have to ask about carving a career path i feel like for anyone who is in the industry for more than a couple years and you and you've you've got, you've got a couple decades it's been 43 four, it's going to be 44 years next 44 week. years I started when I was 15. I'm going to be incredible. Yeah. How do you decide? Like, I mean, looking back, maybe when you were 14, like, how do you decide what to say yes to? Like, what is your advice for early career actors for carving that path? Well, it has to do with you got to get out there. You got to get on the grid. So it, Mm -hmm. it was important to me at that time to be in Hollywood so that I could take auditions and I could get room with people that could actually cast me. So that's first. And then once you, you get a little bit of momentum, then it's important to know, do you have the emotional capacity 
the imagination, the life experience to inform a role so that it doesn't feel like you're really acting. It's, it feels like you're being. And with Pig is a good way into it because that's an example where I felt that I could play Rob where I didn't have to force anything, that it would just be simple and truthful and nuanced. And people take a little bit of, they kind of scratch their heads with me because I, I say things like, uh, I don't like the word acting anymore because it somehow implies lying. And, and Olivier even biography, what is acting but lying and what is great acting but convincing lying. And as much as I revere that man, I, I don't want to look at it as lying. And uh, Picasso said, what is, a, what is art but a lie that tells the truth? And well, what if you just don't want to lie? What if it's about cultivating even beyond the, the method, so to speak, which can work in the beginning and be helpful, huh. as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else. But what if you want to just cultivate your imagination to a point where you feel like, okay, here's the zone. I'm going to go into it now. I'm almost going to go into like a trance and hopefully get away from any anxiety because that's the first thing that's going to shut a, if I can use the word thespian, the first thing that's going to shut a thespian down. So you got to be relaxed hmm. and then be open, be open to your dreams, be open to, you know, read poetry out loud. So you get comfortable with the sound of your voice, get comfortable with your connection to words and recall, you know, recall your past memories. What have you been through that you can almost like be a little time machine with yourself and go back and go into it or inform the lines with that memory, like, like sense memory, you know? Yeah. The life experience part. Yeah. Yeah. And the imagination part. So how can you augment your imagination? Hmm. A lot of movies, you know, movies that will um, inspire you and then, also read a lot of books and, and then that, and that stimulates or go to places that make you feel something. And that's just always exercising your imagination and work as much as you can. I know that's something that's not looked very well upon, especially in Hollywood. Oh, he, he makes too many movies or he works too much, but that's practicing good or bad, fall on your face or stand up, but get so in tune with your instrument that you know it so well that you know when it's working or when it isn't working. Right. Which can only come from experience. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. Are there things that you do every time for every different role to prepare? Well, there's two things I, I do every time. And it's the micro and it's the macro. Okay. The micro is every time I check and see if there's something in my life experience that is applicable and go inward, go into the micro and really try to find that, find that emotional content. Now, if you can't, then don't give up. First of all, you know, when you go to bed, ask for a dream and maybe um, very often a gift comes to you and then you wake up and you go, I know how to play it. Cool. Third in the macro, be open to current events, read the newspaper. Um, I was doing a, a little movie called Joe and I, I didn't know how to find the emotional content in the scene in the bar. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to protect this young man played by Ty Sheridan. And someone is essentially 
commenting about this kid in a way that's offend, very offensive and I'm becoming very, very protective. And at that time, I was like, I'm not sure where to get this from. And there had been a horrible story in the newspaper. I'm not going to mention names, but a toddler fell into a zoo pit of um, painted dogs, wild dogs, and was torn apart. And it was like, where was anybody, you know, to save that child? And that bothered me. And so it was like that. You have to be empathetic, empathic to to what's around you, what you read about. So yeah. read the newspaper, look at movies, check into your dreams, you know, all those little things that can help. And then you can play tricks with your imagination to stimulate it. You know, when I did Ghost Rider, hmm. I believe it or not, I had gone to Portobello Road in London, England, and I had bought these little sarcophaguses out of whatever, like Egypt and like black onyx and things. And I would sew them into my my leather jacket and I painted my face was like to look like a skull. So, and that's how I showed up on set every day. And Hmm. little trinkets were kind of like helping me believe that I was this spirit. And the fact that when people looked at me on set, I looked like that and I could see fear. That's fascinating. I'm super interested in this idea of being maybe in opposition to doing, because it sounds like for you, you are first and foremost, you're starting from a place of being, so does the behavior come out of that? Is it safe to call it an inside-out approach? I think it is. And I also think it can go both ways. That you can start mm-hmm. outside and that helps you get to the inside. And then it can go back to inside-out again. Yeah. You need to know, like, you know, start, when you read your script, start with a, a graph. Okay, this scene works here, here. My movements will be like this. When I did Mastic Men, I knew that I was going to add a Tourette's element to the OCD condition of the of the character and really was okay with that. But I knew that I had to graph that like a dance. Well, he's going to, you know, he's going to twitch his eye here and do that there. He's going to blurt something out there and then he's going to calm down. He's going to, at the very end, I want him to twitch his eye when he's putting his face to the stomach and he has a baby. So, you know, he's not fully out of the condition. But it's all design. Once you get the design down, once you know what you're you're sculpting, you sketch your sculpture, then don't waste it. You know, don't you know, don't want to leave it in the locker room, but then you start getting ready to, and this comes from practice. You're getting ready to open your instrument to the emotional content. And you can ask, always say thank you after you get it, but Know that, like when I did Mandy, Mandy Panos was like, "Okay, you got this scene. You're going to do in the bathroom, and you're going to you're going to have a nervous breakdown in the bathroom. You're going to start pounding vodka back, and we're doing it in five hours, Nick. So I know I'm going to have to go there. So just and then you surf. You know, you, is it there? Is it there? Okay, it's there. Let, let it go. Breathe. Let it go. Is it there? Okay, we're we're an hour out, Nick. Okay, is it there? It's there. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Pace. 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 Now we're two minutes out." action you know you let it go and that's like being in control while allowing yourself to be out of control yes it's like drifting you guys okay now we're drifting we're we're out i'm going to be able to get it back and that comes with practice comes with practice yeah that idea of especially the inspiration informs you subconsciously so that you're not pinpointing exact inspiration sometimes when you're in that moment. It's more like it's bubbling up in you implicitly, right? You can learn how to, 
you can learn your own instrument so well, what works for you so well mm. that you can actually put a photograph in your pocket and look at it from time to time, or you can write a poem or a note to someone that you, you miss and put that in your pocket and you come back to it and you, you know, just little things that can help you be, I like that you said be, you know? Yeah. And of course that also it really beautifully answers the question of like, you're, you're definitely not doing the exact same things every time that would be impossible. But I guess this goes back to the, I guess I got to ask about the more career side of things because you just said this idea of like, knowing yourself and knowing your instrument, does that then lead you to, to think about getting pigeonholed? <laughs> um, Do you think well, about pushing your image in other directions? Um, no, I, I think, okay. I think about, well, one thing I want to clarify, you can do it the same every time in terms sure. of the, what you've, you've graphed out. Your moves can be the same. Your vocalizations can be the same, but the emotional content behind it, that change. Um, but when I work, I like to, I don't like to go past one or two takes and in pig, we didn't go past one or two takes. That was it. So I think you can blow the magic out in terms of being pigeonholed. I've made it, um, kind of a, a quest of sorts to, to, to be eclectic. And when everyone said, he's not an action hero, he can't be an adventure hero that made me go, well, well, I, let me try it. Let's see. And when I did pig, I had developed other styles of film performance where I graphed out something more operatic or what some people like to call over the top, which for me was more of a Western Kabuki by design approach to film. I knew, okay, I'd done that. I need to remind myself and perhaps some folks in the film community that I can also do something very quiet and naturalistic. Yeah. I remember an early conversation I had with my dad, who was a, you know, a brilliant thinker and an artist and a, 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 an educator. And, and I was a child. I was so confused by Picasso. And I, hmm. why, you know, why is he drawing these paintings? I mean, with people with two eyes on the side of the face. I mean, that doesn't look real. I could draw that. He was like, I said, well, can, can he paint? naturally and he goes of course he he broke free nicholas and so i had gone to this path of art synchronicity we're like what you can do in one art form maybe you can do in another like th there's 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 a there's a synchronicity there why not with film performance and it was my aunt Natalia shire and she said naturalism is a style so I thought, okay, let's let's take the, these risks, and I and I got slammed a lot for it. We all know that, but then I also got really lucky that there were some filmmakers that said, "All right, let's try it. Let's go." Let's, and if I hadn't had those people, it never would have happened, you know. Yeah. So my point is, I didn't think I'd get pigeonholed because I was going to keep it uncertain and eclectic. So cool, and that's as close to like, is that an artistic mission statement? Yes which changes over time? Well, yeah, I think it's just, you got to stay interested. And, you know, the mm -hmm. older you become, the easier it is to lose interest. And I don't want to lose interest. So I want to stay challenged. I want to keep designing and, and reimagining. You know, I asked David Bowie once, how did you keep doing this? You kept changing because I just never got comfortable. I never got comfortable with anything I was doing ever. Yeah. And to me, like, wow, that was kind of a beautiful concept and advice 
yeah, you don't want to be comfortable because that because that leads to like laziness and lack of daysical. Yeah, to stay curious. Yeah, you mentioned naturalistic and then also this um, kabuki expressionistic thing. I feel like a lot of people break down your career in terms of genre, which I guess makes sense. But are you interested in what are these different styles of acting in addition to those two? Like, is that how you think of it? Like, I would like to dabble in this maybe more obscure uh, style of acting. Yes. And it's like when people say, well, that's over the top. And I say, well, you tell me what up is and I'll let you know whether or not I'm over it. I'm working on something. I'm trying to find something which I think is exciting. And that's a good example of why independent cinema needs to stay forever in the picture. Right. The best comparison about how it's almost like a laboratory where you can play and experiment and there's not too much money involved where people are going to get mad at you. When I did Vampire's Kiss, I was very interested in, in the Peter Lowe character as a man who was losing his mind and therefore I could channel German expressionistic performance, put that into the movie. To help with these dreams in film performance, it's really good to find characters that are either they have a drug addiction or they're dabbling in the supernatural or they're crazy. And then you can really play with size and, and, you, and you can say to them, well, I've seen people do that. Okay. That's happened. I know you don't think you think it's over the top, but it has happened. So my point is when I dabbled with that kind of expressionistic style in Vampire's Kiss, I was able to see what worked and what didn't work. And if I could apply that to face off and yeah. man, did it work. And then people dug it. They, they felt it. And the other thing that I would say is that you can go as big as you want. You can go as big as you want, as long as it's honest, as long as you, you're still putting the, the emotional content behind it. You know, there's an actor who's probably about the best that I've seen in recent years. And he's, a, he's my friend and he's, He's not only an actor, he's the total filmmaker. I mean, he stars, writes, produces, directs, and his name is Jim Cummings. And man, this guy, not only is he, you know, a really, you know, he's a movie star looking dude. He's, he's handsome. He reminds me of like a young Anthony Perkins. He's not afraid to go completely off the rails on the camera and huge, but it works because it's informed. It's, it's, it's honest. It's, it's larger than life, but it's still, it could happen. And he makes it honest with his emotional content. Yeah, I think it's such a great point. It's, it's been said on this podcast before, sort of in another way of like, take big risks just and see what works. Especially, I think it's a great point too, like indie film, these kind of off the wall, less mainstream stories are the way to experiment and then take what works into your next gig, right? looking for your next gig even exactly and or not only take big risks but stand up for your dreams your artistic dreams don't chicken out you might you maybe you'll fall on your face maybe you'll get fired try not to get fired you want to keep your career going but it's a good idea to talk to the director first about what you'd like to do with it and then try it and then if it doesn't work on set then modify it and yeah. be a collaborative person you got to work with people film is a collaborative process for your awards consideration, the HBO original series The White Lotus is a sharp social satire following the exploits of hotel guests and employees at an exclusive Hawaiian resort over the span of one highly transformative week. 
Praised by IndieWire for its ensemble showcase with unforgettable performances and masterfully built characters, The White Lotus is now streaming on HBO Max. Don't miss what Vanity Fair calls a new TV obsession. I wanted to ask you about a relationship with, I guess, anyone on set, but in particular, it is a director. I just think of you as someone who must, who must have a definition of the ideal relationship between an actor and a director. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, the best directors are the ones who don't fix what isn't broken and the ones faith in their actors and the ones who have a clear vision of what it is that they want so the actor can facilitate their vision. A director is uh, someone, I think a good director rather, is someone who who encourages and loves their act and embraces their talent and knows who to cast before they cast that person. So they, so the relationship is smooth and hopefully conscientious of the time. See, the thing about independent cinema is there isn't a lot of money and you really got to be prepared. You got to know your dialogue. You have to, because you, no one can really wait around for that. You got to go, go, go. And so you have to know everything. And I like to have a good two months before I prep a character. I like to prepare it. So I have the libretto and then it's nice to, you know, be on some sort of communication with your director. Make sure you guys are on the same page on some level. Say this concept is something I'm thinking about. If it doesn't work, let me know, but I'm thinking about it and talk and like, yeah. let's try that. Let, I'm doing it your way now. Let's try something. Just let's try one, see what happens. And a good director would let you do that. You know, Panos Cosmatos, when I did Mandy, we had that kind of relationship where we were texting and I had this idea about Bruce Lee in, uh, in Enter the Dragon. He did this thing where he like went and broke someone's neck and then the camera comes in. He's like, makes that face. And I thought, we got to do that in this movie. Let's try to set up that shot. And we did. And, and it, it went over like gangbusters in the audience. They had so much fun, you know, for that kind of movie. Totally. It's, it is yeah. meeting the, you're, you're there to execute the director's vision, but you're also, it sounds like, really bringing your own ideas to the table. Trying to, yeah. yeah. You know, when I did Raising Arizona with the Cones, I went in and I read for them, I don't know, 15, 16 times. And they would say things like, we're laughing, but I, I, don't, I don't know why we're laughing. I go, well, I don't know. Connecting to your script this way, I, I, it makes me laugh too. And then we started shooting. I was very young. And I think Joel one day took me aside and just said, you know, I just want to tell you who I could have cast. I could have cast Kevin Cosner. I could have cast. And I just said, finally, then why did you hire me? You know, you, tr you, you, I thought you hired me for my instincts and that ended that conversation. And then we got on and we, everything went smoothly after that. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, you've really run the gamut of directors. And I guess this brings us back to pig because you've worked with directors for the first time for, on their directorial debuts before. Right. Yeah. What is, what, what is that relationship like with a, can I say veteran, you know, actor with the first time director? Well, I mean, it's, very different in you know each time it's the personality of the director that you're that you find will be different but mm -hmm. my instinct is that most first-time directors are 
super enthusiastic and are open and are interested in the process, very interested in the process, and they care more than veteran directors. I mean, they care so much. And so that's great energy to be around. But um, Michael, I call him Archangel Michael because I, I, I knew after the studios weren't inviting me anymore, and frankly, I had kind of lost interest, that it would take a young filmmaker who had seen a couple of my movies growing up or something, and that that person would rediscover me. I never lost faith in that. And then he shows up in the form of Michael Cernoski. So I call him Archangel because he did, along with my own idea of Rob, reinvent this together. We reinvented this presentation or this style of film performance, for me anyway. And my point about him is that he's super confident. I mean, he's a very, he's a very, he knows what he wants and he's, and he know he knows the pace that he wants. And that comes with an extreme level of intelligence. So his attitude was like, we, he didn't need to do more than one or two takes. We knew when we had it and we could keep moving, but there are things in the movie that many people wanted to change. Oh, we, want him to get some revenge the pig has got to stay alive and he's got and he was like no 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 that's not what we're doing and he never backed down and that's you know he wasn't interested in violence he wasn't interested in the john wick thing he maybe played a little bit with that in a way he was not entirely conscious of yeah you know the character goes this way and then he goes that way oh we're in a fight club but ultimately it's a movie about love love and loss it's not a violent movie and he he never backed down from his vision so it's it was his confidence and enthusiasm that i think makes the movie work and vanessa's too i mean she wrote it with him and she she was there the whole time yeah that I, that sounds rare the idea of not caving into any outside pressures and kind of hanging on to that vision yeah um, it's also got me thinking like you and i guess him in this case you do you have to think about what you are known for? Like, I'm interested in this idea of an actor and a movie star. And like, yes, you're pretty unrecognizable in a lot of parts of this movie, but you know that we know who you are, that we've seen your movies before. How much does that factor in to the conception or the execution of, of a new character? In this case, not at all. In this case, it was a matter of being like literally just I'm going to sit down I'm going to get relaxed and I'm going to say these lines and I'm not going to worry about it because I know my life has brought me here and I understand Rob and I understand wanting to be in isolation and I understand loss and I know I don't have to act. Your point about actor movie star, that's an interesting point and something I think about a lot. I, you know, movie star is not a word that, people like to hear actors say, but the actor, it's, again, that makes me think of line, film performance to me, or if I, let's say I asked Francis Coppola, what makes a movie star, what makes a thespian great? He will say the sheer personality of the actor. Sure. And that's not something you can learn. That's something you either have or you don't. And I can say, I know that there can be young, young actors, you know, young thespians who can really 
do great craft, but I can't say for sure you're going to be a movie star. I mean, that's a whole other, is a kind of thing that happens, you know, very rarely where there's a personality that seems to connect in a very large way with a large group of people. And I don't, that's something I can't even begin to explain. Yeah. And that's why, maybe that's why it's a little icky because it is a little bit less uh, equitable. Like it is, it is a little bit more like you either got it or you don't when it comes to that kind of like charisma. I mean, that doesn't mean you can't have it. That means maybe you should find out, but don't stop. You know. Yeah. Again, no, going back to what you said about like knowing what works for you, go figure out what your strengths are on camera. Yeah, that's yeah. true. We'll leave the movie star out of it and we'll just stick with the the thespian or the film performer. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I, I like this idea of film performance as its own, like you said right off the bat about James Dean, like film performance as an art form. That's a great well, way of thinking about it. Yeah, okay. Well, James Dean, yeah, well, film performance for me is an art, art form. The reason why James Dean... And this might help answer the question about movie star. Hmm. And don't, I hesitate to go back to that, but let's go back to that. The reason why James Dean, in my opinion, became a movie star was because he came on at a time when many young, when teenagers in America hmm. were feeling like marginalized or oppressed and they wanted to rebel. And so he became, he spoke to that. He spoke hmm. to that happening they made him the movie star maybe more than he he didn't maybe he didn't make himself the movie star maybe the audience or the time or what was happening in the culture at that time made him the movie star and so i think there's there is a bit of that there is a bit of what's happening in the culture that makes somebody relevant to to a large group of people yeah, I've never quite heard that before. And it, it ties back to what you were saying about if you're making a movie in 2021, be reading the news in 2021, because even if your story isn't set in that year, it's a movie being made in that year. It needs to be informed by the current events, the culture. Well, that, that's the, that is the real job, in my opinion, mm. of a performer and of a director and a writer is to, from a place of neutral, to hold a mirror to what's happening now and whether it's on another planet or a different time, it doesn't matter. Like hold a mirror to what's happening now. So it flex back to people and they, they connect with it and they get something from it. Don't tell them what to think. Don't, you know, I don't like message movies, but I think if you, if you just reflect back current events or what's happening now, you will make a movie that is deeply relevant. Yeah. And again, like super, you're reflecting stuff subconsciously, subliminally. So it's there because you're by nature living in this time through osmosis, you're absorbing it. So it's there. Sure. And the reason why science fiction is such an important genre to me is because that is where you can really express yourself and, you know, you put it in a different planet or a different time and you're safe, you know? Yeah, that's such, that's always such a great point. Well, I, I think... One last thing about Pig. I mean, the kind of dead-on monologue that you had about the end of the world, essentially, that yeah. that is that, right? Like you are, in that case, maybe more literally, reflecting on the apocalypse, <laughs> reflecting on climate change. What's well, whatever you want it to be. That's your private connection, and that's important too. It's, I, I hesitate to tell you what it was for me because yeah. I don't want to steal anybody's secret connection with that moment. But... 
it can be on a much smaller level about loss. Like, how do you get over that pain? Well, we're all going in the ocean at some point anyway. So anyway, <laughs> already said too much. <laughs> no, yeah. It, and it just reminds me, like, is art in the receiving? Is art uh, made when the audience receives it or so, when the creator creates it? You know, it's, there was a, a, an interesting poet named Isidore Ducasse. And he put forth the notion that the critic was more important to the work of art because the critic provided the response to the work of art. But I don't, I don't know that that's true. It was just an interesting thing to say that had me thinking. But I think, I do think, if you look at someone like Vincent Van Gogh, he didn't get a lot of love when he was around, and yet the art was still there. So that was the tree in the forest, you know. It, Therefore, the art itself is what matters and how it receives and how it affects people. That's a communication that is important in its own way because it can be helpful. Yeah. Gosh, that's so terrific. Thank you so much, Nick. This is, this is wonderful. I have to let you go soon, but we have these um, maybe silly actorly questions from backstage. I have not asked you about auditions. What are your thoughts on auditions? How often have you done them? Did you do them more early in your career? Uh that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. And I okay, I did a ton of auditions, and I actually said to myself because I kept getting rejected, rejected, rejected. I said I'm going to yeah. do it one time. If it doesn't happen, I, I was interested in fishing, so I was going to get on a fishing boat like my friends in, in in Napa Valley who went up to Alaska. But it happened, so there's that. But this is what I think is important. You know, like a, a work of art looks different in a frame. It just does. And if you're doing something really special, chances are the casting agent ain't going to get it and it's going to scare the crap out of them and they're not going to understand. <laughs> it, so it's really good idea to use a video camera and videotape yourself and send that so they can see it in a frame. And you show them, okay, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. This way, you know, I can do it each different way but put a frame on it because that way they might be able to see the potential of what you can bring to the, to the movie and also where you're willing to go or not go. But I think you got to put a frame on it. That's actually amazing. Cause I mean, these days self taping, especially with the pandemic is, is the only way to go. Yeah. Well, in my time, it wasn't available really. So, I mean, I, you had to go in the office and those very uncomfortable moments, reading the sides and people staring at you go and looking at their nails and going, yeah, okay, next. And that is good for, for an actor or a thespian's confidence. You know, it's not a good feeling. Right. So how we always ask, like, what is the advice on dealing with the rejection? Like, how do you, how do you persist? Well, I think, I think you need to have other options and other interests and just keep trying. If it doesn't work, you will, you, you have that script you're writing, or if it doesn't work, you have that painting you're doing, or if it doesn't work, you have whatever it is you're doing, whether it's your love for your job or, or, or your family or whatever it is, but don't, I would suggest not giving up, you know, because you, if you believe in yourself, you can, chances are someone else eventually is going to get it. It's like, it's like this. If you have if you have a bow and arrow, okay, and you're shooting at a target and you keep missing, all right, you know that eventually you're going to eventually hit it. But the key is don't run out of arrows. You can't run out of arrows because then you won't hit it. 
So just stay interested and keep shooting at the target and I, that it will happen in some capacity, somewhere it will happen. Wonderful. Do you have like a worst audition horror story? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing's coming to mind at the moment. We also ask about like crazy things to that you've done to get a role. And I know I've heard those. I know you have those stories. And in fact, leaving Las Vegas, the, the depths that you went to to learn to learn how to play alcoholic count as as going above and beyond for a role. Right. You mean like recording myself drunk? Yeah. And didn't you hire a uh, friend? Yeah. Tony or- is a friend of the family who is a poet and a drunk. And um he he was with me the whole time. Wow. I would watch him getting drunk. And my God, some of the things that would come out of his mouth when he was drunk. And I just put it all in the movie. I mean, all that stuff like, do not kick the bar. You lean into the bar because it's not vino veritas. It's en vino. And I just put it all in the movie. And, and he would like give me thoughts about alcohol, you know, drinking and what it's like you're reaching for a hook and you can't grab it and you're falling. And it was, it was, he was a huge asset to Ben Sanderson. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that just speaks to that, that thing of like, you are trying different techniques. You're making up your own acting techniques and seeing what works. Well, thank you. And I think that that keeps it interesting, you know, and that keeps it exciting. And it's great if you can find somebody in the macro that can help you get to the micro again, to your performance we'll take it, you know, copy it, do, you know, put it, put it in the movie, get ideas. There's this move I want to do that I saw some guy do on the street in a car. And I've been wanting to find a movie to do, and I don't know how to do it, but he was obviously really in a rush and he was not happy and he was driving and he got to a red light and he put it all the way back and he put his hand over his head like this like he was exhausted like when is the light going to change then he put the seat back up and drove away that to me i gotta put that in a movie and i don't know where yet but that spoke volumes to me it's okay this guy's really got to get somewhere i don't know him i don't know his name but that did happen that's amazing talk about styles of acting like styles of acting can come straight from the the street just straight from reality promise you that someone's gonna say well that's over the top that wouldn't happen but it did happen okay i have i have seen people talking to walls especially in my neighborhood little tokyo i've seen it and at the end of vampire's kiss lo and behold peter lowe is talking to a wall (laughs) is it over the top maybe for some people but i know it's out there sadly still truthful yeah totally (laughs) Um, one last question, and I'm, I'm really curious to know, we ask everyone for what is one performance that you think every actor should see and study and why? Christopher Walken in The Dead Zone, I thought, was a beautifully poetic performance. Some of his moves in that, he said so much with such minimal moves. There's a moment where he puts his hand against the wall and he looks like this, and he looks away, and it's it's so heartbreaking with doing so little. So I thought that was something special. Uh, there's a million of them. My God, I mean, I, but that's the one that comes to mind. That's great. Is there anything you've seen recently? Like, do you have a favorite recent movie? I mean, I love everything Jim Cummings does. Thunder Road, Beta Test. I, I just, I just think he's. <laughs> 
he got me to watch Psycho again because I saw him in beta test and I put on Anthony Perkins and Psycho last night. I was like, yeah, well, it's that level of film performance. So cool. Gosh, Nick, thank you so much. This this is you have you have blown the gates open on your process in the best way. Thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right. Take care. is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.